Hey, what's going on? Welcome in Thursday evening here with Power Mizzou Live. This is basketball talk. We're going to do, for the next few weeks at least, um, kind of crossover, one football, one basketball show every week. Missouri football is still going on at least for another, I guess, 28 days. The earliest bowl game we think they're going to play in would be December 29th, so I guess that'd be 29 days. So the next four weeks, we're still going to have some football shows with Gerard Hamilton, but we are also going to mix in basketball shows with Drew King, who through the magic of technology is now on your screen. Uh, we'll talk some, some Mizzou basketball once a week. And then, uh, then come January, probably kind of switch over and do this a couple times a week. Once SEC season starts, appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Uh, hit the like button, comment, share, subscribe, do all those things. If you subscribe, you're going to get alerts when we go live. If you've got questions, put them in the in the queue. We will get to them as we go along. Drew, uh, what's going on, man? Man, um, first of all, shouts out to technology for letting me magically appear here. That's I could I could also make you disappear real quickly if I want. Well, <laughs> please don't make me leave. Um, yeah. No, <laughs> no, it's going well. Um, had a had a good Thanksgiving. Um, Mizzou has made made back to back trips in the win column, so um, things are kind of on the up and up right now. Yeah, I feel like we're doing this at the right time because we're coming off like fair to say Missouri's best effort of the season. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair to say. Um, in my prediction for the pit game, um, what I said was like Missouri's looked like a team that could beat Pitt at times, but never for a full 40 minutes. Um, so it, it was going to take their best effort to get that win. And I personally felt like being on the road and playing against a Pitt team that was pretty good at some of the things that Mizzou's not good at, um, I, I thought it was going to be a little bit too difficult for them. So I, I had predicted a loss, but mm -hmm. Mizzou had their best effort in that game and, and came out with a, a pretty important win for them, for sure. Well, and they... I didn't think they were great, but what they avoided doing was that like six minute drought where they just dug themselves a ridiculous hole. I mean, I think their biggest deficit in that game was maybe six points. And then by early in the second half, I, I think they led the last 19, 19 and a half minutes of that game. Um, but, you know, there was there was like a little three or four minute drought there in in the middle of the first half where Pitt went from kind of tie game to up five or six. Mm -hmm. But it didn't become a seven or eight minute drought when they were where, where they got down 14, which we've seen this team do that. It, not not just this year, but but also this year. And I, I really thought it was just kind of one of those things survive that big run in the first half. And don't have that. Don't have what happened to you at Minnesota happen to you, and, and that's what Missouri did. Yeah, they didn't let it snowball, right? They they kind of ended the run quickly. I, I don't think Pitt ever had more than like an eight zero run at any point. Yeah. Um. And, and so yeah, that was that was absolutely the key for Missouri was that they were able to um, come up with answers for Pitt a lot more quickly than they have in the past couple games. Now there was a minute. And Pitt did have an eight a six zero or an eight zero run late, where Missouri's lead went from like ten to two, mm -hmm. and there was a minute I thought, oh no, this is kind of becoming a trend because those last two and a half minutes against Jackson State were just they were so bad they kind of scar you right and and I think I even texted you I said he's about to lose this game, you know, yeah. in the last two and a half minutes and 
Sean Easton and well, mostly Sean East, I thought kind of saved him there late. Yeah, and, and credit to Pitt too. Like they were hitting some tough shots. One of them was like an open Blake three on, on the wing. But yeah, Blake Henson just decided like, oh, I'm I'm taller than Nick Honor. I'm going to shoot over him, um, like three feet off of the three point line and and hit the shot. So yeah, that was huge for them. Um, the other thing was like Pitt was getting a lot of foul calls and making a ton of trips to the free yeah. throw line. Um, and, and so, you know, that's kind of an easy way to stay in the game is, um, you know, get some easy points at the charity stripe. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that that kind of um, set Mizzou back a little bit, right? They weren't able to pull away at any point, but it also kind of kept Pitt out of a rhythm because um, they weren't making any shots from the field goal or, or from, from the floor, at least. Yeah. Yeah, they went at one point seven or eight minutes without a field goal. I think want to want to thank Jared for the super chat and appreciate again if you guys and and we do have a couple questions here and, and we'll get to them as we go along throughout the show. But if you have questions, comments, anything you want to say, throw them there. We'll throw them up on the screen, shout them out on the podcast, all that. But uh, Jared here with us pretty much every time we do this and and appreciate that. So um, I, I thought it was ironic that the free. I mean, the free throw line is what kept Pitt in it, and ultimately it's what beat it. I mean, Blake mm -hmm. was making 27-footers, missed two unguarded 15-footers, you know, and, and that was huge. But along those same lines, I mean, you mentioned Nick Honor was guarding him. Nick didn't score in that game. He went to the line. He's only missed two free throws this year, but they've both been in the final minute of close games. The one against Jackson State cost him. The one against Pitt didn't, but – is this team like look nick had a really good year last year and we know he's earned a lot of leeway and a lot of trust but like is this starting to become a concern he's he's not playing as well as he did last year i think that's fair to say um and i, I think what it comes down to a little bit game is he's being asked to play a different role than he was last right. year you know, Dennis Gates wants him to take on a bigger scoring load this year. Um, and he's done that in a couple of these games, right? Um, from Minnesota to Loyola, he was um, he scored at least 13 points every single night. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it wasn't like terrible shooting either. Like he's been incredible from the corners this year, uh, which we've talked about. But yeah, the the pig game, it just was not his night. And on top of that, he hasn't been the same facilitator that he was a year ago, right? We're we're used to seeing him have a really high assist to turnover percentage or ratio. I mean, and he hasn't had that this year. There's been some like really bad miscues from him. Um, and then on top of that, like he hasn't been great on the defensive end either. We're used to seeing him at least come up with a couple of steals. Um, every other game, but that hasn't been the case this year either. So it, it's kind of like a multitude of things for Nick Honor. And I think it's just taking a while for him to adjust uh, with the new group. Yeah. And, and I think there's two things that have stood out to me. He can get to the basket mm -hmm. pretty Like he gets in the lane a lot. It's just that against these high major teams with his size, a lot of times he gets in there and, doesn't have somewhere to go. Like, I, I don't know whether it's 
he's not being decisive enough or guys aren't getting to the right spots once he gets in there. Now, to his credit, he made a beautiful kind of wraparound pass to Connor Vanover for a key dunk. So, like, this is not crap on Nick Honor night. He's done a lot of good things for this team. Yeah. Um, but I've seen him too many times get in the paint and, and it, it just kind of, it kind of loses the thread from there. And he, we were talking about the trust. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I thought Dennis Gates trust in him was going to cost him a win for a minute mm-hmm. against Pitt. Like, because the one thing Gates has always done, like we saw him sit Kobe Brown for long stretches. Mm-hmm. Last year. We saw him sit. Demo- Nobody was immune from the hook last year. And so I was a little surprised that he left Honor out there to play through those struggles for as long as he did. I mean, I don't think Nick ever came off the floor. I think Nick played those last 10 or 12 minutes. Yeah, he you did. Know? And, and I was a little bit surprised by that because we've seen him do the opposite a lot. Well, and especially, too, because there were certain guys on the bench, like Tamar Bates, for one, who were really having a pretty good night. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think could have made a bigger impact on the defensive end where Pitt was kind of going after Nick Honor in those spots late. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I did question, you know, why is Nick Honor playing in front of Tamar Bates here? Because it's it's pretty clear it's not his night. Um, but I, you, you mentioned the trust. That has to be what it goes back to, right? It's just that Nick Honor has – been on the floor in those spots so many times before specifically for Dennis Gates. Um, And I don't know that Tamar has necessarily earned that right in Gates's eyes yet. And we know, uh, look, when it works, you know, when it works, okay. Like Dennis Gates is a tinkerer, right? Mm -hmm. He, he uses these games to figure some things out. Um, and he probably figured some things out about his team on Tuesday night when it, it's only a problem if the tinkering costs you a game like it did against Jackson State. Like that, I think Dennis kind of was caught off guard by that. And he's like, oh, I, I didn't think this was going to happen. So yeah. we've got to we, we've got to maybe cut down. But uh, so we are eight games into this season and I. uh for years, back when I paid attention and let the Kansas City Royals wreck my April and May, I would read a lot of stories in the paper that the Royals manage, management kept saying, you know, it's early. It's a long season. It's early. Well, at some point, it becomes not so early. Mm-hmm. So are we at the point yet where it's not early? And, okay, these rotations, this the chemistry has to be figured out and the, the shuffling 12 and 13 guys in needs to end because I think we're now at that point. I think Sunday marks the point where uh, I want to see nine guys and and be able to pretty much know who the top nine guys on this team are. I think the pit game was probably the last night that you could say that it's early, right? Because if, mm-hmm. if you lose that game, it's understandable, right? Cause you're on the road in that spot. Um, but yeah, going into you know Wichita and Kansas and Seton Hall and Illinois and three of those not being at home, um, I don't think you can use well it's early as an excuse anymore. Like right. you're trying to go out and win these games, and they're not going to be easy anymore. I don't think these are spots where you can play 13 guys off the bench and expect it to go well, um, which it, it didn't. 
necessarily go well against Jackson State or the other two um, mid-majors that they played afterward. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know that this is um, – I think it's, it's it's over as far as saying it's early, right? We're, we're heading into kind of the middle of the year now, the second half of the conference slate at least. Um, so, yeah, that's absolutely right. So when, when I'm looking at the numbers, it's not actually – like Missouri only has eight guys that average 10 or more minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just going to run through these names. Sean East, 100% in the rotation, zero question about it. Nick Honor, Noah Carter, 100% in the rotation. Caleb Grill, 100% in the rotation, right? Yeah. 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 Aiden Shaw, I'm not sure I would have said it at the beginning of the year, but now has earned his way 100% in the rotation. Mm-hmm. The other three guys who are averaging more than 10 minutes per game, and for Connor Vanover, it's only in five games instead of eight, but Tamar Bates, Anthony Robinson, Connor Vanover are averaging 10.8 minutes or more. Are those the top eight players on this team? Once we get down to, okay, hey, we got to figure out what the rotation is, and we got to figure out a pretty consistent rotation. Are those the top eight? I think that most nights, yeah, those are going to be your top eight. Now, there's going to be other nights where you need Kurt Lewis to pull off a Minnesota turnaround, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I still don't know completely like what is John Tanjay going to contribute to this team? Cause I, that's I think the, the one that I'm not sure where he fits in. Cause I don't know how healthy he is. Right. Um, same here. I, I'm not sure that he's a hundred percent. And it's fair after, to say after he like, got his leg amputated. Um, but, right. But, <laughs> but like, it's okay to say when he's been out there, I don't think he's looked very comfortable. Yeah. Well, and uh, Who's the and guy? maybe that is because he's hurt, right? We don't know, but mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I he hasn't looked like the guy he was at Colorado State is the best way to put it, I think, because he w- he was a dude for that team, um, and he hasn't been yet with this group, and I don't think it's because they're playing like super high level competition either. I think he's just right. he's he's just like you said, not looking comfortable. Maybe he doesn't completely know what his role is going to be yet. Um, so, yeah, and then the one other guy, and I think we have to say this because Dennis Gates was talking about having Connor Vanover on the practice squad, the scout team. Yeah. Um, Jordan Butler might might end up playing a lot of minutes for this team, especially if um, Gates doesn't like what he sees from Vanover on some nights. So I yeah. think that's another guy that can make an impact. I think Butler and Vanover are like – how many minutes they play is a little bit matchup dependent, right? Mm-hmm. Do we need a seven footer on the floor or can we survive with Aiden Shaw at the five, you know, um, for, for X amount of minutes. Um, it, before we kind of move on from the rotation stuff, uh, the, the one other thing when I was just looking down this, Trent Pierce has appeared in seven games, only 4.7 minutes. Had that nice little stretch at Minnesota, mm-hmm. but like I, I'm just caught off guard because we both heard so much about him in the summer. And I, I mean, when he's been on the floor, it he hasn't merited playing more so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aside I'm surprised from, by that. Aside from the Minnesota game, um, I, I, there's not a whole lot you can point to that says like, oh, that makes me think he needs to be on the court a whole lot more. Um, 
and yeah, it's weird because, you know, even talking to Sean Connery, the strength and conditioning coach, he's like, you know, I have this whole month long workout uh, regimen for specifically for freshmen. It's like an intro to weightlifting. And he was like, Trent Pierce advanced out of it after a week. Like we, we didn't need to see more from him. Um, so, so even stuff like that made me think like, he's going to be a, somebody who like, makes a difference we both thought he might start mm -hmm. i i had a long shot prediction that he was going to lead the team in scoring that's not happening <laughs> no um <laughs> so we can we can count that one in uh my predictions that went wrong list but yeah um trick part of it is I, I think we expected him to make a lot more shots and yeah. they haven't been falling quite yet um, and, and maybe they will later on in the year, but as of right now, if you're looking at shortening the rotation, I think Trent's kind of on the outside looking in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, before we move on to kind of what's coming up next, I meant to get to this earlier. David said, how, do you good, how good do you think Pitt is relative to SEC teams Missouri's about to face? Like, I, I would say in the SEC, they're like middle of the pack, right? Somewhere eighth ninth in that range like probably a bubble type team is the upside uh, the i think the team i'd compare them to was mississippi state from last year because they they actually played each other in the playing game uh, the the first four game right. um so they were both 11 seeds they both rebound really really well um and they're both like defensively solid so I think that's kind of who I would look to. It, it'd probably be like a, a lower half team, but somebody very much in the middle of the pack there. And I think they have a chance to get a lot better throughout the year because I think that team might have two pros on it. Because mm -hmm. like Blake Henson shoots the ball well enough to be a pro. Yeah. Right Now, I don't know if he has the all-around game Kobe Brown did last year, but he can shoot the hell out of the ball. And I... Tuesday night's a bad night to show this, but Bob Carrington is going to, like, he's going to be a dude. Yeah. He's, he's been surprising too, because coming into the year, I think that Pitt was planning on Dior Johnson to be the starting guard mm -hmm. and he got kicked off the team. So it, they just said, okay, Bob, like we're throwing you out into the fire and he's, he's held up really well. Um, I know somebody, on our message board started a thread saying, well, Anthony Robinson outplayed him. Why isn't he getting the NBA buzz that Carrington is? And I, it's great. It's Don't because get me wrong. It's because it's not about one night. Exactly. It's not about one night. And, and Carrington's been really, really good. I think it's like 15, five and five for him, something mm -hmm. like that. So for a freshman, that's outstanding. And you just look at him and like, he, he, he looks like an NBA player. The, the mm -hmm. way he moves, his size. He, and I'm not saying Anthony Robinson is not. We've both been incredibly incredibly impressed with Anthony Robinson so far. Um, but, you know, it, it's not just about that night. So, okay, I feel like this comment is a good way to segue into what's coming next. Cody, can't <laughs> wait to watch Connor Vanover put Hunter Dickinson to shame next week. Um, yeah, look, uh, Connor and Jordan Butler about to get tested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, uh, you know, Hunter Dickinson is, uh, uh, you know, he's he's going to be a test for this team. I don't think yeah. there's any question about it. I think Mabor Majak might need to be ready just in case both of them just get go into give, foul trouble. Just go give me five fouls. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> no, I mean, that's kind of what Mizzou did last year when they took on Tolu Smith, right? They mm-hmm. they just said, okay, Mabor, Modiara, y'all got five fouls. Go use them. <laughs> right. Keep, right. keep Kobe out of foul trouble. Keep him on the floor as long as you can. Um, and, and like Aiden Shaw didn't even play in those games against Mississippi State. Yeah. Um, so it, that's going to be a really interesting matchup for Mizzou. So Wichita State, this is such a weird month. We were talking about it before we went on live. Mm-hmm. They play Wichita State on, on Sunday. And look, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I don't know anything about Wichita State. I know Missouri beat them last year. I don't know how they are compared to last year. But like this is a game Missouri should win. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's not, a, they should have won Jackson State. So I'm not saying it's a gimme, but right. it's yeah, not no. great news if Missouri loses Sunday. Um, I would agree with that. Wichita State, they're seven and one, but they haven't beaten anybody all that impressive. They beat R- Richmond last night, um, but they've, they've also lost to Liberty by 17 on a neutral court. Okay. Um, and they've they've got a new coach. It's the it's actually Connor Vanover's old coach, Paul Mills from Oral Roberts. Um, and they, you know, Paul Mills is kind of known for the run and gun, let's shoot a lot of threes style. And they're running and gunning, but they're really not shooting that many threes. Most of their points are coming from inside, and I think it's because they they don't really have that many shooters. Um, so that Some people would argue it hasn't looked like Missouri has a lot of shooters, <laughs> which is fair. Um, the other thing with uh, Wichita State, uh, they they seem kind of like they don't take a lot of risks on defense. They they don't generate like nearly yeah. any turnovers, um, but they they do hold their opponents to really low shooting percentages. So I think that they kind of stress staying in position um, and forcing tough shots that way. Um, so that's kind of what Mizzou can expect. But as far as like talent-wise, I don't think it's all that different from last year. It's still kind of Kenny Poto and a couple of slashing guards. So, um, yeah, it... it and playing this year at home, um, you don't want it to go into overtime again. Right. It's right. a team that you should beat for sure. I just remember Wichita State is the the start of the Isaiah Mosley roller coaster. Because oh. <laughs> I remember you went to Wichita and you're like, he's he's not here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, he's just not here. Oh, he just showed up, but like he's not with the team. He's just wearing like flip flops. What's going on? And, uh, <laughs> off we went for the year. I did joke with somebody earlier today after. Uh, and look, if you if you have not seen, if you don't understand what I'm about to say, just go on Twitter and search Kenny Payne tights. But I joked with somebody that I was going to tell the message board that the reason Isaiah Mosley didn't play last year was they didn't have the right tights for him. So. That would connect some dots, I think. We figured it <laughs> yeah. out finally. So, um, so before we get into those next three games, you, you said something, you were talking about defense and, and all that. And I sent you this tweet earlier today from CBB analytics. Um, that it was pretty interesting. It's one of these, you know, four different quadrants and the goal is to be in the upper, right. It was the most disruptive teams in college basketball. And it was basically combining blocks and steals. Missouri was, I mean, they're one of the 
you know, four or five most disruptive teams in college basketball on defense. But the interesting part is a lot more of it's because of blocks than steals this year. They're doing it in a different way, but they are still making a lot of plays defensively. I mean, I'm looking at the chart right now. There's only like three teams that are far and away above in better position Mm -hmm. than Missouri on this chart. Yeah. And, you know, not to take away from the steals either. Like they're still generating a good amount of steals. It's not like way more than most. Yes. More than most, not the same amount as last year, but still a pretty high amount. But um, to talk about the blocks, I think you got to start with Aiden Shaw, who's had Mm -hmm. two games with five blocks. Um, He's been like, a really good rim protector using his athleticism and verticality um, to really uh, get up and, and swat some of the balls that are up there. Um, Connor Vanover, I think just his presence in there, like you saw against Pitt, like guys did not want to drive in when he was in their way. And I think that that really helped turn the tide a bit for Missouri. Um, and then I wrote about this in my column today, Noah Carter. Yeah. Um, He's up to 12 this year, which um, last year he had 15 for the whole season. So I think it's a a pretty good bet that he's going to end up with a new uh, career high this season. And so those three guys, I think, have been kind of the biggest um, differences in terms of the blocks for this season. Yeah, so they don't have... They don't have Demoy Hodge on defense, but they right. do have guys that are that are kind of doing it a different way. So after Wichita, it is Missouri's not home again for 27 days. They play Central Arkansas on December 30th. Now that's not completely unusual because they always have that you know eight or nine day break after the Bragg mm-hmm. game, but it's December 9th at Kansas, December 17th against Seton Hall in Kansas City, and December 22nd. Uh, uh, against Illinois and St. Louis. So we are going to wear out I-70 over the course of, you know, 13 days. Mm -hmm. We'll go many, many miles both directions. Um, Before I ask you what is successful, Jason says that if Mizzou beats KU, I shave off the beard. This is shaving off the beard for me. I shave today. (laughs) I I do not, I'm not going all the way down. This is as close as it gets. This is as clean shaven (laughs) as I've been in years and years, and that's not going to change. So, Jason, that's off the table. I will. You can throw some ideas out, but that's not going to be one of them. But we get to these next three games. What's a success here for Missouri? A- again, assuming they beat Wichita, you go KU, Seton Hall, Illinois. What's a success? Okay, okay. so assuming you beat Wichita, I think just one and two would would do okay for you, right? Because that, that puts you at nine yeah. and four. I- for the for the non-conference, that should put you at nine and four. That's survivable, right? If they go two and yeah. one, you're in pretty good shape. Um, at, at ten and three, going into conference play. Yeah, I think one and two in those games is not a disaster, but it's probably the expectation. Like, right? I think most people think, yeah, they should be, especially in Kansas City. Like, it's basically a home game for Missouri because Seton Hall's coming from New Jersey. They should win that game. So what you're saying is, okay, just go take the losses. And, and if you get beat by Kansas and Illinois, it's not, like you said, it's not season-ending, anything like that. Um, But I think to be a success, I think that I, I think you want to steal one of those. I think you want to be two in one of those games. 
Yeah, so when you look at kind of between from Pitt to Illinois, right? If you look at that stretch coming into the season, you want it to be three and two there. I think that because they lost to Jackson State, you do kind of need a makeup game, right? Mm-hmm. And so you, you've got to pull off a, a pretty and big upset. It was a win. little bit of a makeup game, but right. it doesn't completely make it up. Right, because because you you really do want to be ten and three going into conference play, because that means you know if you end up going like ten and eight nine or and nine, nine and nine, nine shot. Yeah, um, going into the conference tournament, you could get to twenty wins. Um, yeah, so that that would set you up really well. Um, but uh, again, you know, nine and four doesn't necessarily mean you're out of it either. It just means you got to kind of step it up going into conference play. Um, and and I and I look at those games and I look at them very differently because look the Illinois game I had seen enough enough Missouri Illinois games I'm convinced the better team usually loses that game like <laughs> it, it it's it's wild how it happened because even going into last year I feel like most people thought Illinois was going to win that game and and I mean maybe the best game maybe at least the best half Missouri played all year you know mm-hmm. that first half against Illinois was insane. Um, but I've seen enough in that game that I don't care if they're 15 point underdogs. That is a winnable game. Mm-hmm. Allen Fieldhouse, eight on five, not super winnable. Um, yeah. And that, and the main reason is because I, again, I've, I've seen a lot of Missouri games there. I, I'm not sure I've ever seen Missouri. I've probably seen Missouri win there, but I'm not sure. Honestly, I'd right. have to I'd have to look it up. I'm not sure I've actually seen Missouri win a game there um, that I've covered. So the reason is because despite what they say, like KU is always up for that game, right? Like mm-hmm. they say, hey, you know, it's just another game. We don't care. They're not our rival. They went to that other league. We hate them, but. Like KU always plays well. You never go over and get like sleepwalking half-ass KU effort. And when KU plays well, they beat most teams. And so that's mm-hmm. why, like Missouri can sometimes go to Rupp and get kind of a nothing effort from Kentucky. Every now and then, even Illinois might not show up for bragging rights. But when they go to Allen Fieldhouse, Kansas has always shown up. So I don't see how that, I, I mean, that's just the one of the three that you just say, yeah, it would be stunning. I mean, I mean that you want to talk about making up for Jackson State in the turn of the season. That does. That's yeah. That that would be the one that um, gives you a lot of confidence going into kind of the next chapter of the season. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, Kansas has looked a little vulnerable at times. Um, right. They, but again, they don't take Eastern Illinois like they take Missouri. Exactly. Yeah. That's the difference. Exactly. Um, and I do think that Dennis Gates will have a little bit better of an idea of what to expect after how last year went. Um, and, and we'll really get on his guys about like, Hey, we can't take this one lightly. You know, it's, it's Kansas and we're going to their place this time. So, um, I don't, I don't know that it'll be another 40 point blowout, but it it is going to be a pretty tough one to pull off. It occurs to me. Nobody on this Missouri team was on this Missouri team the last time they played at in Lawrence. It was mm-hmm. only two years ago. <laughs> None of them were there. And I mean, so, Caleb Brown, like, I don't think he can – you want to put him out right, there. But he's not actually going to play. Right, exactly. Yeah, and so 
So, like, I I do think that there was a little bit of a feeling last year going into the KU game of, no, we get it. And then the 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 game started, or it, the pregame stuff, and I think all of them, even though they wouldn't admit it, kind of thought maybe, oh, we thought we got it, but this is different, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think there's another another level of that going to Allen Fieldhouse because, like, I'm going to say this in a way that will not cost us viewers and subscribers, but it is a place where you go and it's kind of like, oh, this is like they can tell you about it, but it's different when you're there, you know, mm-hmm. and when you're on the court and you haven't experienced that, um, you know, you do like, again, it's going to be a just just survive the first half and give yourself a shot type of game. And I, I don't I didn't mean to spend this entire show previewing Missouri, Kansas, because we will have plenty of time for that next week. But kind of back to the point, if. If you come out of that straight, if you go into Christmas at, I guess it would be what eight and four. If you go one and two, it, it would be nine and four. Well, yeah, you I would mean, go into Christmas. Yes, yes. the yeah, Central Arkansas games after Christmas, so Correct. you'd be eight and four. It's nobody's gonna like. It's not over, but I feel like to get this thing back to where it was preseason with mm-hmm. excitement and anticipation, I really think they got to get one of those two. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't really talk about the Seton Hall game, but when I talked to Coach Sharbaugh about putting together the schedule, he was like, if we're playing in Missouri, it's a home game for us, right? I don't think that there's going to be a ton of Seton Hall fans in Kansas City for this one. Um, And they're kind of going through uh, a down season as as a program, right? That um, Shaheen Holloway is still kind of trying to build that team back up. Um, So that is a a pretty winnable game for them. And then it seems kind of like Illinois is going to be the swing game. And and that one can Mm -hmm. really go either way. You, you mentioned, you know, the kind of the worst team um, typically wins that game or or the better team typically Mm -hmm. loses and how they maybe weren't expecting Mizzou to be, as good as they were. And you remember they were coming off of the Kansas loss and then they beat UCF at the buzzer off of a miracle shot from DeAndre Golston. So it wasn't like Mizzou was super impressive going into that matchup, but that was the one that kind of turned the season back around for him. So that might be the case again, going into the Bragg and rights game this year. Real quick. Uh, and didn't warn you about this before. It just kind of occurred to mm-hmm. me. Um, ACC SEC challenge in seven, seven, Anything outside of Missouri that because because obviously this is we're about a month away from starting SEC season. Anything outside of the Mizzou game that jumped out to you in those uh, those fourteen games? I, I think um, two things. Well, three, I guess. Number one and two, um, Texas A and M and Tennessee getting taking losses in the challenge. You know, because I I kind of pegged them as kind of the top two teams in the conference and. Uh, they didn't look particularly good last night. Um, and then number three, Arkansas knocking off Duke while uh, Tremont Mark is dealing with a – I think it's a concussion. He hit his head pretty hard. Um, okay. And and so – but uh, he's been their leading scorer this year, and um, Khalif Battle just kind of 
took Tyrese Proctor's lunch money all night. I mean, really outplayed him. Um, and they got the big win at home. So I think that that's kind of a statement win. And, and like Arkansas has not looked all that good this year, but that was one that made you feel like, okay, they're, they're going to figure it out. They're still going to be, yeah. you know, an Arkansas caliber team in the SEC. Right. And, and look, here's what Eric Musselman is. And we know it. Like, just don't worry about what he is in November. Cause he's, if he gets to March, he's going to have a team that can win. I mean, mm-hmm. he's done. He, Quinn Snyder did it when he was at Missouri. Like all season long, you would go, I thought this team was going to be good. And then all of a sudden in March, they were what you thought they were going to be. Um, and, and that kind of seems to be Musselman's MO. So here are my takeaways. One, well, two positive, two teams that are better than I thought they were going to be. First one's Kentucky. If I had to submit a preseason ballot now, I would pick Kentucky to win this league. Those mm-hmm. guys are freak shows. They are freaky athletic. I, like they are going to be a problem. Now, I think there's going to be a couple nights where the shots don't go in and they don't look good, but I think they are every bit of a final four threat. And I didn't think that before the year. Ole Miss, Chris Beard's one of the best coaches in the country. Uh, look, mm-hmm. I don't know if Ole Miss, I mean, they're 6 and 0 right now. Look, I'm not saying they're a tournament team in year one. I don't know that NC State is, is great. They held NC State to 52 points. Chris Beard is going to be good at mm-hmm. Ole Miss. Now, whether he is good and stays at Ole Miss is another question, but he's legitimately won everywhere he's ever been. Okay, and, so I, can, can I I have two points on both teams. Um, Kentucky, absolutely, you are correct. Um, I, I voted for them to finish ninth in the SEC preseason, preseason poll, and I am sweating that prediction. Like, okay, no, no, you can just tear that prediction like, up. Yeah, yeah that, like that, it's, can, that can go in the Shrimp Pierce leads Missouri. I'm, I'll, I'll light it on fire after the show. <laughs> um, but Ole Miss, it's really interesting, Gabe. So they beat Detroit Mercy by one. Right. Um, they beat, I want to say, it, it was two other teams. I'm, I'm going to pull up their schedule real quick. Um, but they they beat Sam Houston by three, um, and then they beat Temple by one, right? And th- that was home, home, and away. This last game, they played NC State at home and beat them by 20. So I have no idea what to make of that team. Um, they're going to play Memphis tomorrow. I'm going to try to watch that game to get kind of a better feel of that team because that that's going to be probably their toughest opponent in the non-conference play. But – yeah, uh, Chris Beard, like you said, he wins everywhere he goes, and it never takes long for him to get it going. Yeah. So um, th- that's going to be kind of interesting if, if Ole Miss is more competitive than we originally thought. Here's the other thing I learned in the uh, ACC-FBC Challenge. LSU and Vanderbilt are the two worst teams in the league, and it's not close. I mean, yeah. LSU got beat by 23 by Syracuse, which is – it's it's so weird for somebody my age to like kind of forget Syracuse basketball exists because they were just I, I mean they were they were one of the mainstays they were a Final Four threat every year for mm-hmm. like twenty years of my life and now I honestly like you know Bayhan kind of hung on way too long to the point where he was an average coach and a bad person um, and uh, but they beat LSU by twenty three points and then Vandy just destroyed by Boston College. I, I couldn't name a Boston College basketball player. Not only this year, I couldn't name a Boston College basketball player in the last 10 years. 
Um, but at Vandy, BC wins by 18. Like they had that, they had that run in the second half of last year where people, including me, thought, hey, maybe they make the tournament. And I started to think maybe I was wrong about Jerry Stackhouse. They're bad enough, man. I'm not sure Stack gets next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I kept thinking, you know, Tyron Lawrence just went supernova, um, especially once they lost um, Liam Roberts at the end of the year. And, you know, you had your starting backcourt coming back. The big question was, you know, did, did Stackhouse add enough talent through the transfer portal and from freshmen um, to, to kind of build a starting front court around them? And it, it hasn't really been the case at this point and maybe they go on another crazy turnaround in the second half of the season like they did last year because that that is kind of one of Stackhouse's qualities is his teams get better as the year goes on but um yeah it, it has not been good to start the year off and then LSU I don't understand how there wasn't a backup plan because the idea was we have Jalen Cook from Tulane. He's a second-year transfer or, or second-time transfer, so he needs a waiver. But we think he'll get it, right? Like Matt McMahon brought him out to SEC media days. That's how confident he was he was going to get that waiver. He didn't get the waiver, Gabe. And, and the backup plan was we have a three-star freshman to run point. Like I, I don't understand how anyone thought that was a, a good idea. There, there was just no plan B outside of Jalen Cook. So I agree. Like LSU, I would not count on them to make a second half turnaround. Yeah. So so we'll revisit this in a month, but I'm just going to give you my thoughts, SEC, and you tell me you tell me if you disagree with any of this. Okay. Kentucky, Tennessee, Texas A&M. Absolutely, I am ready to say those teams are better than Missouri. I think they'll mm -hmm. finish ahead of Missouri in the standings. Yes, I would lean toward saying the same thing about Alabama and Arkansas. Um, they're I, I'm not a hundred percent convinced, but I would lean that way. Yeah, you agree so far? I think so. Okay, I would say clearly Vanderbilt, LSU, South Carolina are worse, and I think Georgia is probably worse. Um, and we'll finish below Missouri. You you disagree with any of that? I think I agree with all of that. I mean, credit to South Carolina. They're 6-0, and and they, they yeah. have wins over Virginia Tech and, and Notre Dame. Um, Grand Canyon isn't bad this year. Um, yep. So I, I, I wouldn't totally say that they're going to be okay. a low-rung team, but as far as, like, preseason expectations, that's where I had them. So yeah. they, they just haven't shown to be that yet. Okay, so let's give South Carolina the benefit of the doubt and throw them in this other group. Okay. We're left with Auburn, Florida, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Missouri, and South Carolina. That's six teams. In all likelihood, two of them are NCAA tournament teams. Yeah. I, like, I, which, I, I mean, you've got to be in the top two of that group of six to, I think, have a realistic shot at the tournament. I, I think that's where... A, a month before the SEC season starts, that that's kind of how I would view Missouri's. All right, you got to Auburn can be better than you, but if Auburn's better than you, then you got to be better than Florida and those other teams I mentioned. And I think that you could 
have a, maybe a third team out of that group, but they'd have to have a really good non-conference resume. And so that's where this next stretch for Mizzou yep. comes into play. Like you, you want to get as many of wins as you can out of these next four games. Yeah. And we will end it then perfectly on Jason's question. If Mizzou is a bubble team, does the Jackson state loss pop the bubble? I mean, look, it is, it's a factor on selection Sunday, right? It, it doesn't necessarily keep you out, but if you're talking about, are you team 68 or team 69? It could. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. That like that's something that they will point out and look at and say, like, you know, Missouri, great win over Pitt, nice win over Minnesota, but Jackson State, how did that happen? Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it, it'll be a factor. You want to get as much cushion away from Jackson State as you can, for sure. Right, and and, and look, the truth is. If you're the first team out, like, yes, you can point to Jackson State, but there are a million things you could change throughout the year. Like, mm -hmm. I hate that we got screwed. No, just be a little better, man. Just just do something better one day and you get in. So um, that's where we're at. Uh, tip off 2 o'clock on Sunday, which is right after the bowl announcement around 1.30. So while mm -hmm. we are – while Gerard and I are, are – Talking to Missouri about a bowl announcement. Drew will uh, hold down things at Mizzou Arena. I'll join him. We'll do a show after the game uh, with all three of us. We can all hang out together, or at least you and Gerard can switch off, and you can both hang out with me. You know, we'll figure something out. Gerard, Gerard's gonna bring up how um, we played basketball earlier today and how <laughs> how how things went on the court. Okay. Um, okay. So, yeah, y'all can look forward so, to that on Sunday. So we'll, so we'll just do that separately. All right. So parting shot, Jason says, instead of me shaving the beard of Mizzou Beach, oh. Beach KU, you grow a beard. So that's where we're at now. <laughs> so <laughs> I usually do no shave November, and I hate it every single year. <laughs> so I decided right. not to. So if Mizzou Beach KU, it's no shave December for drinks. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll see where it goes. But uh Appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Before we leave, uh, like, comment, subscribe. If you're listening to the podcast, which I'll put up after this, share it on social media, tell people what we're doing. Um, a lot of big news coming tomorrow morning. Recruiting-wise, we'll have that mm -hmm. for you. Again, bowl announcement Sunday, basketball game Sunday. So uh, follow it all. Thanks for hanging out. Talk to you next time.